Hey there, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and this show features the farmers, the founders, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. We talk a lot about data in agriculture, yield data, aerial data, weather data, soil data, data interoperability, data ownership, and on and on and on. What we're not talking about enough, in my opinion, though, is data quality. More and more and more data is not helpful unless it is quality data. We have the quantity. There's no shortage of farm data out there. But how do we improve the quality? We often fall into the trap of assuming that more data is better data, when in reality, better data is better data. We'll explain why here on today's episode. Now, you've probably heard of data being cleaned or being scrubbed, but what exactly does that mean? And why is it so hard with farm data specifically? And why is this a problem now? And what can we do to help? All of these are questions and several others that we'll address today on our episode as we bring on farmer Kyle Maiman and New Leaf Symbiotics technical sales lead Brad Walkup to talk about their experiences and focusing on getting higher quality data from trials. But before we dive into things there with Brad and Kyle, this episode is another one that I've partnered with my friends over at Intent to bring to you. This year, I've really wanted to explore where innovative ideas meet practical realities in ag tech, and there really is no company doing more in this area than Intent. So they're the perfect partner, not only for this episode, but also for episode 194 that we called Accelerating Ag Tech Adoption, where we talked about the importance of on-farm trials, and episode 215 entitled Bridging the Gap Between Farmers and Ag Tech, where we talked about the real challenges in getting trials right. From those episodes, you may assume Intent is a consulting company that helps arrange farmer trials for companies. And really, that is how they got started. But as VP of Technology, Mike Harquist will tell you, they've evolved into a technology platform as well. What we set forth and really what the company, how it started was consulting and doing a service for basically bridging that gap with farmers and product companies. And really what that led into was how do we support that? So what type of tools and systems and that type of stuff? And what we found really quick is there isn't a really good, quote, uh, software system to enable the type of work that we did. There's a lot of pieces and parts to it. But when it comes down to the core of it, there's a lot of FMS systems. There's a lot of farmer kind of mapping systems. And what we needed was to manage the whole project from capturing data to the process or protocol that was happening to then the end result and basically analytics and taking that information and make it useful. So really what we did was we kind of, we call it a platform too, because it's really not a piece of software or a system. It is a platform that our whole goal is to plug and play as much as possible. Now, uh, if you've been in the industry very long, you know plug and play isn't as easy as it sounds. It, it was where we use pretty open sources of software. So we're using, you know, AWS for our platform. And then we just integrate with existing tools and FMS systems, the climates and John Deere's and SMS systems to get information. And then we've basically then created the platform to capture, convert, do QA and make sure it's right. And then analyze. And right now we use ArcGIS uh, Esri product for a lot of our geospatial, um, but we've started to use other tools there and our analytic platform. 
Now, this led to something that's surprisingly pretty unusual in ag tech, a technology platform that was developed via close, direct, repeated experience with farmers and agribusinesses. The companies really relied on building our business from the ground up. So we look at technology as almost the third piece of the pie, and we do it well, and we want that to be kind of the, the core of how it fits together. But our people and process is really how we got here, is we kind of believe in, let's get the right people on the bus that have the right core values that fit with us, and then let's do it manually first, because we don't want to create this nice, cool tool, but it's not useful. So let's get out in the field and go walk fields and use a spreadsheet and, and figure out how it works and what works and what doesn't. And then let's let technology make it better for us. So a lot of times I've been in organizations that we start with the technology and think it's going to solve all the world's problems. And then it sits on the shelf. We continue to iterate too. We found better pieces of software that we can integrate. We'll swap it out and say, now let's use this new piece because it, it works better for capturing data, that type of thing. So, you know, I look at it as, is intent has really evolved into a technology platform that allows now both the services we produce or the consulting services and trial services we run, as well as allowing clients to run their own or farmers to run their own side-by-sides in field trials. And we're just a platform to allow them to effectively do that. Mike says their goal was to develop a technology that makes it easier for farmers to provide relevant information and easier for both the farmer and a company that's working with that farmer to visualize, see, and use that information. He says there was no one product out there that allowed them to do that, so they're building it. The key here and the reason why Intent is so successful is because there is a problem with farm data. It's messy. If we had nice you know, clean data that somebody unloaded a file and it just, we could process it, our life would be easy and we'd have a lot of competitors doing the same thing. So that's really where we started is how to take data and make it into information. So examples that we'll get is from nice, neat climate view files that has their whole farms and we got to help get down to the field or the area. That'd be kind of a, a pretty straightforward cleaning process to a grower taking a picture of a screenshot of a map and drawing with a pen and paper, here's where my trial is at. And walking them through that process to, let's figure out exactly where that's at, get GPS points, and understand where in the field that this lies. And that's where it takes time. It's back and forth with the farmer or maybe a, a client representative to understand what's going on, where is it at, so we can process that data effectively. Okay, I think that's some great context to keep in mind here as we dive into our featured conversation. Once again, this is Kyle Maiman, who's a farmer in Northeast Iowa and Southern Minnesota, along with Brad Walkup, who is the technical sales lead at New Leaf Symbiotics. Brad's going to kick off our conversation here by describing what New Leaf does. New Leaf Symbiotics, we, we're really in the business of, of discovering and commercializing beneficial bacteria for uh, agricultural purposes. And what makes us really unique is we are focused on only one species of bacteria, which is uh, pink pigmented facultative methylotropes or M-tropes for short. And those bacteria have some very unique and special characteristics that, that make them very flexible in uh, 
what they will do to plants and all plants, not just the row crop plants, but every plant on the planet that we've looked at has mTROS on it. We have DNA sequenced thousands of these bacteria. And as part of that sequencing, we've been able to um, identify what thousands of these can and will do and put them into a predictive logic base. The short answer is there is no short answer. But what we are finding is in corn and soybeans, they promote growth of roots and biomass, and then they act as a sunscreen on the surface of the leaves. It's a little bit different than, than raw chemistry, right? Where you're looking at almost switches, yes or no. These biologics really interact with mother nature and do several different things at the same time. So we like to call it multiple modes of interaction. Yeah. Well, that's got to make it pretty complicated from a trialing standpoint. Kyle, when, when did you first sort of hear about the product and how did you and Brad get connected initially? So uh, Brad and I have had a, a relationship from some of our former lives and uh, actually have known each other for a while. And when uh, Brad joined uh, New Leafs group, he uh, had reached out to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm just working with a group here that I'm really excited about. And I think that you need to understand a little bit more about. And as we've gone along here, I'm far from an expert of understanding, but I have been to their uh, headquarters, went through uh, the Danforth Center there uh, with some of their folks, met some of their guys. And, you know, I'm far from an expert, but it's hard to make an argument against why this wouldn't be a good thing for my operation and lots of operations. Right. And so I've, uh, I guess, been drinking the Kool-Aid for a little while here, but it's uh, it's easy. It's easy to drink the Kool-Aid because it makes a ton of sense when you kind of have it explained to you. I'm a little slower on the uptake. I've had to have it explained to me several times. But, <laughs> <laughs> but over that time, I uh, I do feel like I've gained a lot of confidence in it. And so, yeah, we've done a little bit of uh, trial work with Brad's group through intent and farm trials this year. But, you know, Brad and I had a relationship previous to that as well, that we are uh, doing pretty broad scale usage of, of some of the products, especially our biggest usage for this past year has been in soybeans, but we are playing uh, more with some overtreat in corn, which actually I feel like has probably as much or more potential than what the soybean side does. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. excited about that side. So Brad, back to you, as I understand, you kind of approached intent because of a specific need you had last year. Can you talk about that? Kind of what initially prompted you to reach out to intent to try to start working with them? Yeah, it, it became really apparent that, um, you know, really intent was built for a company like us where we don't have the resources in the field. They do. We've got a fairly complex multiple mode of action product because we are dealing with mother nature and our desire is to see this product across a broad geographic region you know we are targeting yield first and foremost simply because that's that's what the commercial value is to growers but yield is so complex we need to be able to capture multiple data layers not only to determine mode of interaction but we are also looking for those outliers as well, right? That will inform us to a number of things. So intent was really important to us because they, they brought the expertise in being able to, A, have the relationships with the growers like, like Kyle, the progressive growers who are curious and interested, 
and willing to do some testing. And then B, they brought the resources to be able to do the follow-up work to ensure that the protocols are followed so that we get input and data that is statistically relevant. And that's super important because you can do a lot of trials, but if you don't follow a a very well-defined protocol, your output is just not going to be statistically accurate. Absolutely. And so, yeah, definitely the protocol comes into play. Talk to us about the data. What data are you looking for with something like this? Like you said, it's so complex. It's not just, you know, single mode of action. If you get more yield, then this must have happened with your product. A lot of things could have led to more yield. So what types of data points are you looking for? You know, first of all, yield is complex. And I'll let Kyle talk a little bit about that because he's certainly got a lot of experience in that area, you know, with the multiple things that go into yield creation, even within a single field. But what New Leaf is really looking at is metrics like speed of emergence, speed to growth stages, stand counts at various growth stages, amount of biomass, root development, root architecture, depth of rooting, number of fine root hairs, number of nodulation points in soybeans, nodal root length in corn. Those two things are very important by crop. We do tissue samples to see what kind of uh, nutrient uptake we're getting compared to the check. Overall plant quality and uh, finally yield. And I think one of the most exciting things we're doing in the industry is we're looking at grain quality. Agriculture for years has been a, a race to see who can grow the most commodity. I feel like in the next five to eight years, I'm hoping we get to the point where we can differentiate crops by quality and therefore a grower will be able to uh, have a unique value position in the market rather than just number two yellow corn. Yeah, interesting. And, And I mean, with a commodity like corn or soybeans, when you talk quality, I mean, are we trying to move up from number two yellow corn to number one yellow corn? Are we talking more, you know, kind of what they're going to yield in terms of what a processor might want or, you know, what types of quality factors are you looking at? Yes, Uh, (laughs) that would be the the short answer. Um, I should have seen that one coming. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I, I think really what we're looking to do is is to test these different methotropes to find out what impact they do have on grain quality and then position that product with a processor to say, we can deliver this type of grain quality at this level with this consistency and then give growers the opportunity to market differentially. And one other uh, other item around that too, that maybe just even from a farmerized answer. (laughs) But uh, the reason I get kind of excited about the corn over treatment is that it really seems to me that the things that are coming down the line here can make it where it adds value to the grain and saying, okay, because I have this over treatment of this M-troph, now my whatever pest is irrelevant and I don't have to use a BT option to control that pest. And if I don't have to use a BT option to control that pest, now I can grow a, a non-GMO corn, control that pest with one of the m classifiers, and I automatically have a product that's worth more that I can market as a non-GMO crop. Simple things like that, I think, that are going to be more and more important as you know as time goes on. And then the, the traceability of that, too, the traceability of that all the way through the food system, that's not something that's going away. That's, that's going to become more intense. Yeah. 
Kyle, this is a this is a heavy lift for you, you know, whereas maybe another product is like, hey, plant this, let us know how it yields. <laughs> this is a lot more involved. Can you talk about, you know, from your standpoint, do you need to hire like a full-time research assistant to help with something like this? Or how do you handle the amount of data that you have to collect through a growing season on a trial like this? Yeah, so we we do have an in-house uh, agronomist that is uh, that does work here for us. And so Parker becomes uh, very involved with the intent folks. But um, the one thing that uh, both New Leaf and Intent have made it, it they, they've really tried to simplify it for, from a farmer standpoint to make it so that it's easier for us to implement these protocols. And so that's why it's important to me, believe it or not, you know, we, we do get bombarded with a lot of product requests, a lot of uh, something, hey, can you try this? Can you try that? And at some point, you just have to say no to these things. And you just you've got to kind of sift through and say, okay, here's the things that I really believe in. Here's the things that long term could make a difference as a as a company to me, not only the product that I'm trying, but who do I want to hitch my wagon to, right? Because it is it is a lot of work. And so it, it's certainly worth I mean, the, the tradition in this industry is that they drop off a jug and and you know what you get for for doing the trial, Kyle, is is the free product. Well, that free product is the most expensive thing that I put on anything I do all year long. So I do have to believe in it, right? I have to believe that it's going to make a difference in our operation. So that's why I, I guess I've, I've gravitated towards the intent folks as well, is because I do believe in not only the companies that they are bringing to us, but also the protocol that they put in place. So I, I believe in the data as it comes across, even more than me putting out my own trial, Right. And talk a little bit more about that from a farmer perspective. It sounds like what you're saying is that kind of like data is not necessarily data. You need to have it done properly. So can you talk about sort of like the difference between usable data that makes it worth your time to do all this versus what can maybe go wrong when it comes to collecting and providing this data in a trial? Right, right. So that's another place where these guys started speaking my language early on. This is maybe a little bit of an arrogant thing, but I'm, we're kind of data snobs here. It's really, really, really important to us that if we're going to go through the time to collect information here, regardless what it is, if it's a trial or if it's yield information or if it's fertility or soil testing, whatever it is, that it's accurate and that it's reliable and that we can make decisions based on it. And that we have it's, it, that it's always been that way, that we've cleaned the data along the way through the years so that as we put those layers together, we have something that's usable. So early on, um, both New Leaf and Intent were speaking our language because of they're kind of data snobs too. <laughs> and uh, they really uh, saw the value, I think, in you know us as a partner maybe uh, had that mentality, but that we were speaking the same language there. So I am 100% on board that data is, is certainly not just data, that there is definitely a classifying and ranking of data quality that goes into any of these processes. There are some folks in the industry that, you know, have a mentality that if you just jam enough data into something that if it's good or bad data, that eventually the, the highs and the lows equal themselves out. Well, all that is to me is average. I want to know that the quality data going in produced a quality output. We've all heard the junk in, junk out tale around data quality. And we really believe that here as much as anybody. And so we've really taken the standpoint of not only trusting third-party data, but third-party data that we feel comfortable that it was met our qualifications almost, right? Met, met the qualifications of, of information going in because, uh, again, anybody can make any data say whatever they want to if they put enough, enough garbage in. I, I just want to emphasize, I guess, 
that not all data is certainly equal. And I think that over time, that our industry is going to quickly figure out that there's going to almost become a ranking system. You know, there's there's number one quality data and there's five quality data. And there is certainly a difference in the end result you get from either one. Yeah, Tim. And I think there's a little bit of a misnomer uh, in the industry with uh, a lot of folks that since most people are pretty well equipped these days with yield monitors and, and a platform, uh, whether it be FieldView, DeerOps, or one of the many platforms that uh, that there's a, a plethora of really, really good data out there. I would say there's a plethora of data out there. You know, how much of it has been really well done, cleaned, analyzed, and really leveraged and put to use the way that should be used. I think that's probably what I found over the last, you know, 10 years is, uh, yes, data is data. But there's a huge difference in the quality of it, how it's been managed, cleaned, and gotten ready to put into artificial intelligence or data analytics, those kinds of things to be able to, to get some real value out of. Let's dive into that a little bit more. What tends to go wrong? Or Kyle, maybe from your standpoint, what are the red flags that you're looking at when you are trying to decipher good data from bad data? If somebody's listening, they're like, okay, I, I think I agree, but I don't really know like what's bad data look like versus good data. What's the criteria that we should rank this data on? Yeah, you know, that that's a great question, Tim, because um, as an industry, we haven't defined that very well at all. And uh, if you got into a room of 100 farmers and uh, asked them who has good data, there's 100 hands that would go in the air. <laughs> and the fact is, is that we're not all good, we're not all that good. So there is uh, there's certainly subsets within that. Some of the things that can go wrong, right? We can enter anything we want into the monitor. That doesn't mean that's actually what happened. So it really comes down to, you know, you start off with training of your operators training of yourself to understand the equipment that you're putting these things into. Anybody can have the John Deere Operations Center, but if it doesn't coincide with what actually happened on the field, it's it's exactly what I said before, junk in and junk out. So it starts off with a training exercise at our house. Then, then really, uh, I think operators have to understand the why. What's the end game here? And why is this important both to our operation and to you know the partners that we're working with, with the intent or with uh, the new leafs of the world? So that's kind of where it starts. But um, all the way along, there are on a given acre and before a crop is harvested, come back to Brad's thing a little bit around yield. You know, there's 60 some odd decisions that a farmer has to make on that acre um, in a given year. And so there's a plenty of opportunity for things to, to go awry and not to mention all the trips that you make across it. And so anytime that there is something that becomes uncalibrated or there is a leak or anytime that an operator says, well, it's close enough. Those are all opportunities along the way for this, these layers of information to be inaccurate. So to me, you know, what qualifies as good and what qualifies as bad is really, you know, an operations will or, or want to, to do all the little things that make it, make it work so that the, the operators are trained, so that the equipment's finely tuned, so that you're constantly calibrating, so that you're constantly checking. You know, the equipment we run anymore, um, we can go over so many acres so fast inaccurately. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if we're inaccurate, we can do a lot of it inaccurately really, really quickly. And um, by the time we kind of figure it out based on feel, it's over. So we've got to be checking that early on. And then it comes down to, you know, how does the information flow back in? If you're running multiple machines, are they calibrated to each other, not only to an accurate uh, standard, but are they are they accurate to each other? So you don't have 
stripes in a yield map um, that can that can throw things off. I know that's a long answer to a short question, but it's somewhere along those 60 decisions that you make that there is an opportunity for something to go awry. And I think it's just all about your commitment to making sure as many of those steps are correct as possible, right? Man, that, that is such a great answer, Kyle. I don't know that I have much to add to that outside of, I think if we look back at maybe a little bit of history on data collection, uh, you go back into the, you know, maybe the late 80s, late 90s, where people started to get yield monitors. The power of the human mind and experience did that initially. So when, when Kyle first got his first yield monitor, you know, he got that data. And because of having been over those fields two or three or four or five years in a row, he mentally was cleaning that data based on what he saw in his own experience. You know, it gets a little bit more difficult when you take that across 40 fields from Michigan to Colorado and no one individually is doing that mental cleaning to say, oh, that that can't be right because of these three things. So that's really the world we're living in is is taking that human eye off of the data and, and trusting it for what it is. And, and that's why cleaning the data and making sure it's accurate with the protocols Kyle talked about is, is so important. And, and the other thing I would say what, what can go wrong is I think uh, individual farmers yield mapping and data layering uh, is is at least directionally accurate for their operation, but it's an N of one. It, it's it's their own experience. And I think that's part of the value of intent is where you have the same protocol across uh, many different states, many different soil types, and then you aggregate the data so that individual farmer isn't just looking at his or her own information. It's aggregated. And hopefully that provides value back to that operator as well. Well, Brad, as I understand, you know, your initial work with intent was to kind of clean up some data. So can, can you talk about that as far as what does clean up data mean? If the data isn't clean when it goes in, what can be done or what was the ask of them and sort of how that worked out? Yeah. You know, just because you've got a yield monitor and have captured the data doesn't necessarily mean that that it was what we call clean. And I think what we define that a little bit is there's a number of things that go into into that captured data. You know, I'm sure there have been times where Kyle has read the yield monitor on his combine. It's shooting 430 bushels an acre. You know, well, yeah, it probably was, uh, but he was going too fast. Um, so. You know, the, the data capture mechanisms are based on, you know, weight and load and all the speed and different variables. So we will get yield maps uh, showing a handful of, of unbelievable outliers that just are so far from the average that, they, that they're not believable. Um, it could be uh, speed of the, of the equipment going through, through the corn. It could be end rows where there's multiple passes. Where, where the operator didn't shut the, the head off. And so the first pass was 230 bushels and the next three passes on that same geo point was zero. So you, you get those, those field maps and initially they just are inaccurate. So to get a really good uh, set of data, our ask of intent was to take the data that we did have and clean it up. And what we mean by cleaning it up is 
really taking out those outliers. And there, there are um, computer programs with algorithms that they use to soften up the edges and remove you know, certain bits of data to get you what, what you feel is a, is a good output. One thing I just throw throw out there about this, too, is that, you know, uh, as good as um, we all are trying to be at this, I mean, we are baby step number one on this deal as an industry. Even the best are just getting started. And I don't know if you ever get done with cleaning this deal up. Right now, the industry is really, really excited about all the data that we can produce, right? I mean, everybody, all anybody can talk about is data this, data that, blah, blah, blah. Analytics of, of our data, analytics of our data. But I really feel like the second generation of the data wave in agriculture is going to be quality and what comparability and how can we, you know, what metrics do we measure excellence by? Um, those are going to be the things that make a difference as we go into not only Brad's side of it, of, of product trials and and understanding um, broad scale what, what their products can do. But as, uh, you know, processors and food suppliers want to understand you know, the entire food chain of what has happened to any given product that they're bringing in. Um, we're at the, we're at baby step number one, as far as that goes. But to me, that's really where the second wave will, will be is in how is that quality of information portrayed and what's the standardization? What's the certification? What are the check boxes that, that have to be checked for, for this to be worthwhile? Yeah, and it, it's not like um, this hasn't been done for a number of years. You look at the Cortevas and the Bears and the Syngenas, they have a, a lot of money built into their research programs where they've been doing these types of things for years. But taking it from 40 or 200 foot strip trials and putting it into the real world with guys that don't have deep backgrounds in analytics and protocol development. That's a real challenge, and that's that gap that Intend is filling as you take that uh, almost uh, contract research organization platform out into the hands of real growers so we can see product efficacy across thousands of acres before we go to market. Thanks so much once again to Brad Walkup from New Leaf Symbiotics and Kyle Mayman for being on the show. I hope next time you're in a conversation or hear a speaker talk about data and agriculture, you consider their comments about the importance and the rarity of quality. And as Kyle said, we're just in the early innings of this opportunity to improve agriculture through improved data. Thanks also to Mike Harquist and everyone over at Intent for partnering with me on today's episode. You can learn more about them over at intent.ag. That's I-N, the number 10, T.ag, intent.ag. As always, I appreciate your time and attention to these important topics. We'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. 